Welcome to In Trouble Again, a podcast looking back at the 1980s obscurity Star Wars droids, the adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, the first Star Wars animated series. I'm your host, William Big T. Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt Bradley Shergy. Hello. And today, we are going to look at the third episode of Droids. Uh, it goes by the very Star Warsy name, The Trigon Unleashed. Uh, this originally aired September 21st in 1985, and continues the narrative more or less where it left off with last week's episode, Escape into Terror. Right, it's uh, directed by Ken Stevenson, so that's a different director, and it's written by Richard uh, Beaven and Peter Sauter. And uh, there's some nice flourishes to the directing in this one, I think. You well, have a lot you, of... There were a lot of a lot of nice touches, both with the animation, uh, but also with the editing. Uh, like th- this, this episode heavily features Star Wars style screen wipes. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just hard cut transitions, most of the scene transitions are these elegant screen wipes, which I absolutely love. No, I like this one. I think this is the show is starting to feel its oats a bit more. It's becoming it's becoming the series that we would love, even if the world on the whole would not know it. Did they have toys for Star Wars droids? I imagine they would have had to, right? Yes, yes, they did. Uh, in fact, when I used to work at uh, Moonlight Comics, which was the which was our local comic and games uh, shop uh, here in, in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky, they they had a uh, glass case with a lot of old vintage action figures in it. It included some of the original Star Wars run, but yes, there were some droid figures. In fact, we had a uh, we had a Vlix figure from this series. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so there was there was a Star Wars uh, toy line. Okay, that was what was that? That was I can't believe I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the toy company that put those out. Um, Kenner. Kenner. Kenner, yes, yes. Yeah, the, the, there was a uh, there was a Kenner's droids line. Cool. Um, yeah. So we. So so last episode we left off uh, with uh, with R two D two C three PO uh, and the the uh, and the the other heroes uh, Kia uh, uh, Kia Jor- and uh, Jord uh, and Ho- and uh, Jobin. They were in the Trigon One, which we learned last episode was this orbital uh, battle platform or weapons platform uh, that Tig from had designed and built. Uh, 
and they were debating whether they were going to use it against the gangs or destroy it. So this episode picks up. They're back at the speeder shop from the first episode. So clearly nobody's getting any closer to this big race that they've been hyping up since the first episode. But um, Jobin has decided that he and R2 are going to hide the Trigon 1 somewhere but the rest of the gang's not going to know where it is. That way, if anyone's captured, they can't reveal its hiding place under interrogation. Yeah, so well, R2's on, on his mission. Uh, 3PO is back at the base with the Kia, and he picks up a transmission of what looks like a... Um, R2-D2 Western sitcom? Yeah, he, he, he sets up a subspace array to try to, like, pick to sort of like pick up some news. And, yeah, the TV, this TV screen turns on. And, yeah, it's a Western, but starring two R2 units, appropriately enough, one in a black hat and one in a white hat. And they're behind rocks throwing cubes at each other. Yeah, and C-3PO marks that, oh, that's R2-D2's favorite program. I am, and, and this is not the only time we see it, so now I am fascinated by the idea that in the worlds of Star Wars, there is a droid western. <laughs> I kind of wish that was its own series, really. Yeah, I, w- I would love to cut to that, like it was an itchy and scratchy, and see, like, I want to know what the... Who is that show for? Is it for droids? Maybe, because, you know, it, it would have no dialogue, right? Just be the beep, 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 boop, 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 and you're doing a western story. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah, it, it, it just struck me as a pretty... Strange detail, but eventually the, you know, C-3PO has some comical falls and so forth and uh, accidentally picks up a transmission of Tig talking to his father. Yes, and they're uh, talking about the fallout from having the Trigon stolen uh, and that they're sending some goons. Uh, they're sending some goons to attack the rebels uh, at the speeder shop. Uh, and, and C-3PO, of course, oh, no, I must warn the masters, uh, not realizing that he's in the speeder shop that's about to be assaulted. I like that joke, because he's walking out the door, then lasers start firing at him. Yeah. <laughs> and even as he says that, I was thinking, wait a second. So it's, it's a clever bit of business, I think. But yeah, Vlix has the place surrounded with some of the, the From gang goons. Uh, but at the height of the gunplay, uh, Jobin comes back uh, with R2-D2 on the speeder. They bowl over, they bowl over the goons, they rescue Kia and uh, C-3PO. And they start zipping around. They're being they're being chased by some of the more toyetic vehicles that are at the Fromm gang's disposal. <clears throat> and it's a pretty, despite the fact that the animation is somewhat limited, it is a pretty fun chase sequence. The music used in the sequence, which admittedly we have heard before, gives it a lot of energy. And I did want to talk about the music on this show. So Star Wars is known for having these sweeping orchestral scores. Um, Droids does not have that. However... It has a really fun, really bouncy, synthesized score that uses a lot of really interesting tones. And the song, the song that they use for this chase sequence, it really imparts a lot of energy to the action. I love the sound of it. I wish I wish I could get some of this music isolated. Uh, that music is particularly used in the end credits for the show. Um, but you're right, yeah, the music throughout the series... It's its own unique thing and, and fun to listen to, and um, I don't know, maybe one day we will see a um, standalone droid soundtrack release. I mean, that's a pretty cult thing, but the, there's weirder things have happened. Uh, I, I even heard at some, oh, some uh, 
conference call or something with uh, an executive uh, in charge of Star Wars now over at Disney, they were asking, will we ever see a release of the droids or Ewoks cartoons? And he sort of dodged the question, but he said, we, we, that could be something conceivably that we could air streaming online or something. So maybe when the new um, premium uh, Disney service comes out, we'll see a legitimate release of these things. And uh, the, the only comment I'm going to make about that streaming service is, if it doesn't have the classic cartoons, I'm not interested. Uh, I'm quite curious as to what it'll have, because Disney has such a large library that and, they like to hide from the public as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm really worried that's going to continue and that the streaming service is going to be primarily all their new and current stuff and the only classic stuff it's going to have is the classic stuff they can't possibly hide. Yeah, I heard a fascinating statistic on Netflix recently where um, they only have 100 titles that are made before 1990. Hmm. Damn. Anyhow, that has nothing to do with, or little to do with Star Wars droids. Oh, I want to talk about standards and practices. Go for it. Uh, and, and this episode, it's set so... Uh, you can show violence on cartoons now, but in the 80s in particular, there were lots of restrictions on what kind of violence uh, you can show, uh, which which is why in a lot of series from the 80s, bad guys turned out to be robots. That's why the Foot Clan mm. were robots in, uh, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's why He-Man, despite the fact that he has a giant sword, never uses it as a, as a weapon. <sighs> he uses it to like cut open doors but cut ropes, like, yeah. But he never, he hardly ever punches anybody. Sometimes he'll push things over or drop chandeliers on them. So, in droids, so in this scene, there's all this heavy laser fire, and C-3PO even points out that they're they're not being hit, and they point out, and he's like, oh well, it's good, we're not being hit, and they point out, well, wait a minute, if we're not being hit, it's because they're intentionally missing us, and it turns out that's true. The From gang wants to take them alive. And is using the laser fire as suppressive fire to force them into going into this cul-de-sac where they can be cornered. So I love that. I love that this show addresses the fact that no real violence can occur and no lasers connect. However, later in this episode, the restrictions the, the restrictions on violence and action put on this show really come to, a, to the fore. There's lots of pushing people over and things falling on people. Yeah, a lot of slapstick. Um, you talk about standards and practices. What comes to mind for me is in G.I. Joe, a helicopter where a plane would explode and then you'd see the bad guy parachuting out. Yep, unless it was a robot. Oh, yes. But another, so another thing that really stood... So I watched this episode twice, and something that stood out to me the first time I, I watched it, which took on another dimension the second time I watched it, is that when... Uh, at one point during the chase, there's this there's this door and a wall that's closing uh, that, of course, our heroes get through just at the last second while the vehicle yep. pursuing them crashes into it. So when the vehicle is about to crash into it, we see a shot of the pilot for the vehicle and the guy in the sidecar, and the pilot screams, and the guy in the sidecar screams too, but when the guy in the sidecar screams, it's a woman's scream. And hmm. I can't tell if that's an intentional joke or if they're kind of like having fun with potential 
with the potential lack of sexual dimorphism with the with the from gang species or if that was just the only other scream they had in the sound effects catalog but it stands out it is so noticeable and it's not the only time we hear that exact same woman scream this episode given that they repeat the scream my guess would be from the sound library but yeah i didn't notice that it was a woman's scream uh, what I did notice about that same sequence, though, is uh, the heroes, you know, are, are trying to escape and the door's about to close. Um, you get a weird first-person shot from the point of view of the ship as it's turning sideways. As oh, it yeah. And uh, you get another shot um, that I thought was interesting. Later in the show, C-3PO and R2-D2 are, are on a... Uh, escaping on some vehicle, and C-3PO goes right towards the camera, and you go inside his mouth. <laughs> well, you know, with the, with the whole thing where you see the first person shot tilting sideways, I, ironically, that probably is cheaper, faster, and easier to animate oh, sure. than animating yeah. the vehicle doing Absolutely. that maneuver. But at the same time, it's more dynamic. Yeah, it's, it's usually more interesting. The cartoons from this era often had very static shot compositions, and um, but the. Sometimes you see some adventurous stuff, and uh, it, it does remind me on this show the the vehicles and the way they move looks really good. Yeah, no, there's lots of, I guess for lack of a better term, pornographic renderings of space vehicles, whether they're in the background or they're actually being used. Uh, and I think in part that speaks to the strength of the Star Wars design principles. I mean, we actually see an incredibly well rendered Tiderian class shuttle several times in this episode. That's right. Turns out the Fromm gang has one. Maybe they bought it off the black market. Who knows? Maybe they have. Maybe one of them is an imperial mole. <laughs> if only. But <laughs> oh, but our, but our heroes do get do get kidnapped, uh, and they're in. Uh, and you know, uh, Tig Fromm is is uh, threatening them and interrogating them and like juggling what I don't know, which I guess is meant to be a thermal detonator, but also shoots lasers. But we get a yeah. second glimpse of that droid cartoon show. Vlix <laughs> is watching the TV, and on the TV is the droid Western. And it's, again, two, uh, two uh, R2 units, but one of them has a Native American headdress on, and they're smoking a peace pipe. <laughs> that brings up a whole bunch of other questions. Yeah, that raises a hell of a lot of questions. But I guess I am glad that those characters are getting along within the context of their show. I would love a frame of that blown up on a t-shirt. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> we'll do that as a, a Patreon tier. or, or as... Well, there's also, and it occurs to me, now it makes sense because they, they are probably back in the speeder shop. But there's all these trophies on the wall, so I guess those are speeder race trophies. I think that's good continuity that apparently, like, all their racing trophies are decorating the walls of the shop. I love that uh, attention to detail. It shows their continued interest in racing, because, um, even though... Is it only in, like, one episode so far that they've mentioned the racing, but then they seem to drop it like a hot potato? Like... Well, they, they mention it in the first... They, it's all over the first episode. It's mentioned yeah. at the beginning of the second episode. It's kind of, like, not mentioned here. And the whole time, I was like... I, th this whole time, I have been thinking, well, we're three episodes in. We're still at this race. When are we going to get to the fireworks factory? I mean, it is a sporting event. Surely the Fromm gang <laughs> could be trying to fix the game or run some illegal gambling. You could make these stories dovetail very elegantly. Not only that, but races have a set start time, don't they? 
But yeah, typically, yeah, typically yeah, it's scheduled. Yeah, but but of course, that is one thing we do know about the way hyperspace travel works uh, in Star Wars is it always gets you where you need to be exactly when the story demands it. That's true. Now you you discovered something about this episode. I, I did. So we, we we use Wikipedia for reference, which is an excellent site. I've never really used it before, surprisingly, but it's uh. And they mentioned there are some tie-in books to the Star Wars droids cartoon, and there's one for this episode, which is the same name of the show, called Trigon Unleashed. Okay, fine. But on the, the image in the cover is not one used, I, I don't think, in this episode, and it's quite strange. It's two legs straddling the frame, and then in between the legs, off in the distance, are um, our heroes tied up. Yeah, and, and it looks like it's animation cell art with one of their ink and paint backgrounds. So, But yeah, I do not recall this shot. I now kind of want to go back through the series just to see whether it's there or not, but just the idea that an unused art asset may make it on the cover of an adaptation is pretty interesting. But oh yeah, but the fact that it's shot from th- through the gap in uh, Tig Fromm's legs, all, all, I can, all I can think of is, is, you know, is The Graduate. C-3PO, oh. are you trying to seduce me? Or I guess, oh, Teague, are you trying to seduce me? I forget how that scene works, but... However the Mrs. Robinson leg scene works, that's what's happening here. What came to mind to me, and this speaks more of my messed up thoughts, is I thought, like, oh, like... that In my, in my mind, uh, Tig is, is about to piss on our heroes, and C-3PO is just thinking, oh, no, not again. <laughs> you know, that is what his... Fi- that is the expression on his face that is what it's communicating i've got a bad feeling about piss <laughs> oh, God. I mean, hopefully that will be the dirtiest joke we ever use on this podcast but then again you never know uh yeah that would have been a good tie-in product i've got a bad feeling about piss the uh bathroom cleaner Oh gosh, let's let's never discuss this again. Uh, Available in C three P O yellow and R two D two blue. Okay. No C three P O. In R two D poo. There you go. That's the dirtiest joke. Uh, that End we'll scene. Ever okay. But so 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 this so I mentioned like the limits of violence. So our the heroes are kind of like they're not they're te- they're wrapped up rather than tied up, which is an interesting sort of sci fi choice. But. At the height of tensions in this scene, I guess they're trying to escape, but the heroes keep like bumping into the gangsters and knocking them over. Uh, And at one point, uh, Tig's thermal detonator or whatever it is explodes, filling the room with smoke. But no one actually escapes. Like this seems like some some pointless wheel spinning action. Another weird bit of wheel spinning is they're captured, and then they're shown a video of um, Kia's mom. Kia's mom and um, oh, Jord. You're right, and Jord captured. So it's like they're captured showing a video of someone else being captured. Yeah, and I guess and, and yeah. that struck me as weird. And they're, and they're all tied up, as you said. Yeah, and they were they were on. Uh, I guess they were. Yeah, they were captured while while working Kia's mother's farm. I I presume. So I guess her guards didn't help. Uh, but yeah, that's the leverage they use to to uh, get the Trigon one. And what ends up happening is that. Uh, Jobin says, well, okay, well, I'm only going to talk to size from. I'm only going to talk to the big boss. Uh, yeah. I want to negotiate with him. And eventually Tig caves, and, you know, we get... There's there's so much tension 
uh, between him and his father, you know, he's like, you better get yeah. that Trigon or I'm going to get a new son. Yeah, it's quite mean. Um, but yeah, but and, he, and he's talking to his father. He's like, you mean you didn't get the information out of them? Well, I thought you wanted the fun of interrogating them yourself. <laughs> oh, so it's, uh, so once again, I've got to do the dirty work. Like, it, it's, it, it kind of, like, I really do sympathize with Tig, but I am also kind of delighted by that that's the nature of the relationship. Uh, that that he's, nothing he does is good enough for his father. And the way Size Fromm looks, it makes me think, if they did a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy cartoon in the 80s, that's what Vogons would look like. Yeah, that that's prosthetic Vogon jelts right there. Uh, so, you get uh, R2-D2, his, his arms, because of magnetics or something, are, well, are sticking well, no, they... straight up. They're on the Tidarium shuttle, and they keep the droids in a comp- in what the, uh, in a room with no gravity. And they even like oh, they're really? now like pointing out how the artificial gravity works. Like, oh, I wish they'd put us in a gravity compartment. But yeah, because it throws off his equilibrium, his hands get stuck in the up position when they touch down. And as they break free, C-3PO slams on the table, causing Stu to plop on. Um Tig and Size's face. Oh yeah, and this is this is something. Uh, this contrasts the various animation because, like, whenever they we see a spaceship, it looks cool and sexy and and weighty. Whenever we see food, it looks pretty disgusting. I mean, what yeah, are they you eating? They're eating the brown roast. goo what? with a browner lump in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wish they gave it a name, but but they don't. Yeah, but they they do have their moment, and uh, and Jobin finally says, "Okay, so we hid it. We hid the the Trigon back on our home planet. It's hidden in the valley behind the bantha shaped rock formation, which is an area that Tig knows because I guess it's close to where the old secret base used to be." Well, to be fair, he was awfully specific. Oh, true. Uh, uh, but they're all uh, put back. Uh, but they're all put into a jail cell, uh, and. There's another one of the Fromm Gang outside, and this is where we get more extreme uh, dimorphism because the Fromm Gang guy, who's presumably the same species, looks looks very much like a goblin in a big hat. Yeah, it uh, looks more like something out of a, a fantasy show. And they need to escape. They need to escape from the cell. And I like their gambit, but at the same time, <laughs> it's unnecessary. Because yeah, our- they. There's a running gag about R2 having plans. There is, and it's like, uh, they make a, what C-3PO tells R2, says to the guard that R2-D2 has like a, a jewel on him or something. Was it, yeah, he says very loudly, R2, I certainly hope you remember to hide the Master's jewels. They're worth yeah. more than we are. <laughs> and the guard overhears this and comes barging in, jewels, where's the jewels? Where'd you hide them? Uh, and he says, oh, well, they're hidden in the panel in the R2 unit. So he goes over, and R2-D2, I guess, sprays him with resin? It's just orange goo, but it completely incapacitates the guard. So now the guard's gone, uh, and then the way they get out is C-3PO starts swinging, and there's a bad bit of animation. And I'm not sure whether the animation is a mistake or 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 what, because... The guard does this move with his hand accompanied by a sound effect that indicates he's pushing C-3PO, which is why C-3PO is swinging, except C-3PO isn't on screen when this happens. He's not connecting with anything. But, our, but yeah, but C-3PO swings, uh, 
knocks R2-D2 so that he swings, because they're hanging from the ceiling, he swings next to the other prisoners, and he's able to short out the laser cuffs that are keeping him chained to the walls. They didn't need the guard in there for that. C-3PO could have just started swinging to get that chain reaction, then they could have just overpowered the guard when he came in. But it is nice. Like, I, I am so sick of the guards, guards, you've got to help, my companion's sick. Uh, mm. Because typically... The people who are holding you prisoner don't care if you're sick. They're going to kill you anyway. So I hate it when that shows up, and I hate it even more when it works. So I like that they're they're actually being clever and playing up the, the, the criminal's greed to, to escape from this cell. I'd like to think that what made... Um, what R2-D2 squirted on the guy was he stole some of the stew from earlier in a spare compartment. <laughs> And just squirted it right back on the guy. And turned it orange. Turned it orange. Yeah, changed the color to disguise what it was. And probably heated it up a few degrees. So it would cause <laughs> burns. Because R2-D2 is... R2-D2 and C-3PO are both assholes. But R2-D2 seems like more of a joke. <laughs> no, no, yeah. He, he is. He is, absolutely. Because he takes a very... Like, C-3PO can be passive-aggressive. R2-D2 is aggressive-aggressive. He will fuck you up. Yeah. And, and I, I always like it when he has a new gadget pop out of his tummy. That's always nice. Um, so C-3PO and R2-D2 escape on this sort of speeder thing. It's like a reverse forklift. Yeah. Um, and, and you get, you know, there's a lot of a lot of characters getting rescued and escaping in the show so far. Such, such as Kia and whatnot. Uh, yeah. and so, so you find out Tig has left to retrieve the Trigon. And then you find out that when Jobin hid the Trigon, he sabotaged its guidance systems so that when it, it so that when it approaches the base, it will crash into it and explode. And they have roughly like just over 40 minutes to get out of the base before the collision happens. Meanwhile, Tig tells Sice like, oh, this thing is so powerful it could blow up a planet. And Sice actually says something nice to him. He's like, oh, I'm so proud of you, son. Yes, yeah, Sice like, gets real enthusiastic. And when, when Tig starts like mocking and taking pot shots at Vlix, Sice just starts <laughs> laughing and going, yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nice moment. <laughs> I like, the, I like his, his wild mood swings. But, um, <laughs> but they find a... Uh, they, man, they, they, all, they find a... Uh, a, 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 a the hangar bay, and there's a guy in like a containment suit with a hose going from a ship into this like grating in the floor. I can only assume he's draining the septic system for that ship. Ugh. But a guard chases him in there. There is a uh, they. There's the, the the counterweight for the hose apparatus. They swing so that it knocks the guy in the containment suit into the tr- the sluice trough. I'll call it. But then they also trick the guard into f- tripping over and falling to the sleuth trough. And when the guard slips and falls, it's the same woman's scream. Maybe the maybe the woman of that species is uh, that character will make a comeback. Maybe I mean maybe that's the same character too. Maybe maybe it's not two different characters with the same screen. <laughs> Could be, but it turns out that ship is damaged and they have to they have to repair it. Uh, uh, Tig realizes that the Trigon's navigational system has been jammed and it's gonna hit it's gonna hit the base. Uh, there is a uh, oh excuse me, there's this um, 
there's a there's a thing where it turns out the reason the ship the ship won't launch is that there's a servo mechanism that isn't working. So what they end up doing in the last second is they take the servo joint from C-3PO's arm and wire it into the navigation system. So C-3PO's fisting the console and that's what allows their their stolen ship to fly. Uh, so you know all of her heroes escape, the Trigon hits the base, it exp- nice thunderous explosion. One thing I want to point out though, we see a lot of we see Pretty much every spaceship we've seen before flee the base. We see the Tidarian shuttle. We see A-Wings, yeah. which we saw in the first establishing shot in the first episode. We see a B-Wing, which we saw in the previous episode flying backwards and upside down due to an animation mistake. Um, we see the t- the Afrom gang's transport from the second episode flee the base. It's amazingly good vehicle continuity in this series. So it also goes into standards of practice, right? Even though something crashes into a building, no one human get, you know, an organic gets hurt. Yeah, as near as we presumably as near as we can tell, the place gets fully evacuated. Convenient that. Um, and there's and there's a little and there's a moment where Kia's mother, you know, says, "Ah, you used evil to destroy evil," which I guess after right. a fashion they did. So at the end of the show, all the heroes are together and um, in a fleeing starship, like in, in the a, like in the previous two episodes. You're right, and they have to end on a gag, and it's like, oh, you know, they're talking about how C-3PO and R2D2 make such a good team. And it's like we if 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 it wasn't for me, you'd have to put up with R2's plans all by yourself. That would be Which disastrous. Which is a great C-3PO line, because he uh, he's not trusting of R2-D2. Well, they... Yeah, well, he, he, he's, he knows what kind of trouble R2 will get him into. Either his not trust... Or his crippling anxiety prevents him from uh, letting anyone else do the work except for himself. Yeah. So so one thing about, about this episode I want to point out, I said a lot of good things about the animation, but one thing that... This was a bit of a problem in the first episode, but it's only gotten worse, and it's kind of reached its nadir uh, here. C-3PO is never on model. And I realize, no. C- as, a, as a design in the movies, C-3PO is very complicated and has lots of little fiddly bits. They managed to come up with a simplified C-3PO design and a simplified R2 design, but they never conform to the R2 design. His body has a different arrangement. Like, he has the- his silhouette stays consistent, but the arrangement of every part of his body changes from moment to moment. Well, in C-3PO, the size of his eyes will change. True, um, but they're often very expressive. Sure. But with, R- but with R2-D2, sometimes he has panels, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes the panels are arranged chaotically, sometimes they look kind of like they do in the simplified character model. But it, it started to get really distracting the number of times... Yeah, I don't think R2-D2 is on model once in this episode. And there's a lot of R2-centric scenes in this episode, so it makes sense that it'd be oh, yeah. here. Such as, actually, a pretty good gag early on when C-3PO's alone in the machine shop and this terrifying, like, spiky, clawed droid shadow appears in the wall and he assumes a mercenary droid's been sent after him. But it's just R2 uh, with a box of spare parts <laughs> creating that shadow. Yeah, that's a, that's a cute moment. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I like this episode. I think this is probably the best one we've seen so far, but I'll save my rankings for when we do a ranking episode. Oh, okay. Of the best and worst of droids. Yeah, I mean, overall, overall this, is, this, is, this is pretty fun, and it has all the things you want in Star Wars. Dashing heroes, creepy villains, a secret base, a doomsday weapon. And it, it seems to tie up most of the loose ends we've seen. So yeah, I'm, I'll be curious to see what the episode next week is about. Yeah. But it's called A Race to the Finish. So, so maybe we'll finally get to that race they've been talking about since the first episode. Or maybe race will be the name of a character. It's an ironic title. Who knows? Race Bannon. Yeah, that sounds like a Star Wars name. <laughs> Even though it's a Johnny Quest name. I'm an idiot. Okay. Um, nah, it's alright. Yeah. So, let's... Um, we have a segment, don't we? Yes, we do. We have Droid Eye for the Jedi, where we try to figure out which character in this episode was secretly a Jedi Master the whole time. So, do you, would you like to nominate somebody? Yeah. Um, my money is on the R2-D2 droid with the headdress on the TV show. Really? The actor who plays that droid or the character that that droid is playing? The actor that plays the droid. Hmm. My theory is that whole R2-D2 Western show, which is apparently very popular in the Star Wars universe, uh, the the actor playing the part is a Jedi, and he's using subtle Jedi powers that can even project themselves through the television to make people uh, have more laughter than they normally would. To make a show into a hit. So it's a comedy. Well, it's a comedy when it needs to be. It's a tragedy when it needs to be. Ah, okay. He projects whatever emotions are most needed to get the highest ratings in that time slot. Specifically, he in it. But the reason why it didn't affect the people in this show is uh, he only uses his Jedi powers are so fine tuned that um, when these things initially air through the television over the airwaves, uh, his, his power to control one's emotions. Are uh, only apply to people in charge of the Nielsen ratings at the network. <laughs> very, very specific. The hut-based Nielsen ratings. The hut-based Nielsen ratings, yeah. With uh, Nielsen the hut. <laughs> oh, okay, now we got to now we got to find a way to make that canon. What about you? What's your? All right, droid? So I think the secret Jedi Master is Septic Guy. Uh, and I, specifically, I think he's a Sith. Now, hear me out. So, weird full-body suit, intimidating breathing mask. Yeah. Never, no matter how much danger he's in, he never dies. And because of his actions, namely the actions of letting a ship get taken, and we all know Sith will let good guys steal a ship when it factors into their conspiratorial plans, He is. Uh, it, it allows a doomsday weapon to destroy a secret base. We know the Sith like to destroy secret bases. We also know that the Sith like doomsday weapons, but specifically they like doomsday weapons they control. This guy has clearly been dispatched by the Emperor to help destroy a rival doomsday weapon that could threaten the Empire's power. I like, yeah, the more you talk about it, the uh, more compelling your idea becomes. That's it. It's canon. It's got, it's canon. And I will be disappointed. You know what? That character has a different body type than all the other members of the Fromm gang. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. That is Snoke. That is Snoke in the Septic Vac uniform. Mm. 
This is where he comes from. This is where his evil machinations start. He's even thinking ahead. He doesn't want a Trigon one to interfere with the Starkiller base he knows is coming because he's going to help build it. And I, I bet he, he picks through the, um, the septic sewage material for spare parts to craft the ultimate lightsaber. Oh, a toxic lightsaber. Wow. Toxic lightsaber, that's right. It was I like. Sort of like the... Um, the toxic. The, sort of like the shit-smeared punji sticks from Vietnam. Oh, where yeah, when you yeah. When you hit the enemies, it poisons them. Oh, yeah, with, the, with septic infections. Necrotizing yeah. wounds. <laughs> um, septic saber. So, Trigon 1, do you think that's just a poetic badass name, or do you think Tig's long-term plan was to make more of these? I think the plan is to make more of them, because if they indeed have planet-destroying capabilities like he implies, or even if it has something close to planet-destroying, uh, it can cause a lot of damage, or it'll make his game more powerful. I mean, he, as he obsesses in every episode so far, he wants to be in charge of the only game in town. He wants to not just usurp his father, but become like the ultimate, you know, godfather type. Hmm. Man, well, what what we could have seen if there had been a season two. I can see it now, the Tig father. <laughs> don't call me Tiggy. All right, so we um, I've been checking out some uh, some other periphery Star Wars stuff lately. Oh yes. Does the segment have a name? I can't remember. Uh, I, I've just been in my head. It's called Expanded Universe. Okay, Expanded Universe, of course. Um, I've been really getting into these retro Star Wars games. I have a fine collection from uh, good old games at GOG.com. You can get a lot of them for on sale on the cheap there. I'm sure they got some good uh, Black Friday deals going on, or, or actually that... Well, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> the one that I tried was a, a rare computer game that isn't very good which is true of a lot of these Star Wars games, but this one at least is ambitious. It's called Star Wars Rebellion. Oh, was this the real-time strategy game? No. This is a... I mean, no and yes. It's a strategy game that's real-time. It really should be turn-based, but it's more like um, Masters of Orion. Huh. But even less so. It feels like someone ripped off a board game, slapped a Star Wars license on it, and then um, made it real-time, which is a, a terrible, terrible decision, because it's very complicated. So the idea is you can play as either the uh, Empire or the uh, Rebels. And the, the map, the gameplay is uh, a fixed view of the galaxy. And you can move ships and hero units to different planets. You can make them Rebellion or Empire. Um, but to, to win the game, you need to take out the Death Star... If you're uh, the, the heroes, or if you're the villains, you have to um, take out the rebels. And so you're, they have different hero cards, I think, around like, different planets. Um, but there's also like resource management, because you can have planetary defenses and build ships to defend the planets. It, it's extremely complicated. Think of like, like civilization, but if you made that real-time, which was a horrific idea. Um, although Age of Empires kind of did that good, so I just negated my own argument. And anyway, it's too complicated for its own good. It's not not a great game. Um, one sort of droids tie-in, I suppose, is C-3PO uh, 
does narration and does stuff all throughout the game if you're on the Rebels. Oh, did they get Anthony Daniels back for it? Uh, I'm going to look that up. That's a good question. I feel like they had to. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure every appearance of C-3PO has been Anthony Daniels. Um, as I look this up, you keep on talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so th- this is... Uh, and this was one of the, the latter-day LucasArts games, wasn't it? Uh, it was, yeah, late nineties. And this is unfortunately this is one of the ones that I I never got a chance to play because I had sort of taken a uh, I had taken a break from PC gaming at the time. And it, although uh, I I mentioned uh, my friend Mark recently on an episode of Sequel Cast Two, uh, so he, my friend Mark did in fact play this. And if I, as I recall, one of the mechanics is the moment you lose or sorry, the moment you use the Death Star. Like most of the planets in the galaxy immediately join the rebellion. That's right. Yep. So, so does the Death Star have any strategic value when it costs so much to use it? Um, you should use it probably if you if you if there's like one big rebel planet with a lot of things on it, just for convenience. I think. Um, so, I mean, it's okay. It could be better. It's, the game could be balanced better, too. It's, it's too complicated for its own good. I think the instruction manual is like over 100 pages. It's very obtuse. Um, but on the other hand, you know, they, they have a large amount of spacecraft you can build, a lot of references to expanded universe with the different characters. And uh... You know, as I recall, I believe I read an article in the Star Wars fan magazine about this game and about how as they were building it out, one of the things they realized is that there aren't there aren't enough vehicles in the Star Wars movies as they existed at the time to populate this kind of strategy game. So as a result, they had turned to the expanded universe, specifically the latter generation Kenner Star Wars toys, where they just started making up vehicles. And some of the more interesting vehicle designs were lifted from that toy line. I can see that, sure. I remember. I remember specifically one that was in my that was in the toy box at the preschool where I went to. Where it's like, it's like this buggy that has these two um, two steamroller wheels, one on the front, one on the back, and it kind of bounces. But I recall that being rendered. Seeing a render of that for the game, I have no idea what the vehicle was called. Yeah, some um... sort of armed personal transport. Yeah, so I wouldn't recommend that game unless you can get it like on sale for like a dollar or something. It's um, it's an interesting curiosity because you didn't not have many Star Wars uh, strategy games, which which is a shame because the 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 setting really is built for that kind of thing. Like I I would love a game where you could uh, where you could play out those epic sweeping space battles, and in fact I do have such a game, and that's the game I'm going to talk about. Okay. So, uh, so I'm I'm looking at games uh, just like you uh, for this uh, expanded universe segment, and I wanted to talk about the game Star Wars Rebellion. Isn't that the one I just mentioned? No, it's not. By but by an amazing coincidence, it has the same title. Uh, the, so the Star Wars Rebellion I'm talking about was a uh, Star Wars board game released, I think, two years ago by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, 
And oh, okay. I've seen this in the store. Yeah, yeah it's 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 a gorgeous game. Uh, it's about as sexy as a Star Wars uh, board game can get. Um, and it, and it it lets you play those epic sweeping space battles. The board is a map of uh, a large chunk of the Star Wars galaxy. You build uh, you build bases and units on those planets. You fly around. You do missions on planets. They can be warfare missions, sabotage missions, diplomatic missions. But one thing that I really like about this game, uh, so there are there are two factions to this game: uh, the rebels, the Rebel Alliance, and the Empire. And they both mechanically work the same, but you have to play them differently because they both have different victory conditions. Uh, the rebels win by building up a certain amount of support for the rebel alliance. So essentially winning planets to the side of the rebellion. The empire wins by finding and destroying the hidden rebel base. And that's one of the more interesting mechanics is that at the be- during setup for the game, the rebel player chooses a planet and secretly designates that planet as the location of the rebel base. Uh, and there's a special part on the board where they can put all of the ships and defenses that the base has. Uh, and as the Empire, you've got to find and destroy it. And the way you find it is at the beginning of your turn, you launch probe droids... That sort of el- that sort of eliminate planets, and you keep firing probe droids until you find the planet with the base. And once the base is found, it accelerates to end game really quickly because all the Empire needs to do is blow that planet up. And in fact, the Empire begins with a Death Star under construction. How long does it take to play a game? Now, it can take. Let me see. I think the official estimate is about two hours. But like with a lot of board games like this, your first time playing it's going to be a bit of a learning experience. So the first time through will probably be about three hours. But once all the players have the rules figured out, it's going to take two hours or less. And there is an expansion for it. They did an expansion that came out around uh, that that adds that adds the characters from uh, vehicles from Rogue One. Uh, unfortunately, I have not uh, read the rules or played with the expansion, so I don't know how it affects gameplay. I mean, but overall, as a board game, this really does help capture uh, the the spirit of Star Wars and let you let you play out those epic space battles that you've been seeing on the movies. Cool. Um, I was browsing around. I found a, another bit of Star Wars droids miscellaneous. Oh. It was a coloring book published in the UK, and on the back it says. Uh, Color in Pathetic Tig, Courageous Kia, and the Spaceships and Satellites of the Future. Pathetic Tig. It really calls him out. So it was edited edited by his father. (laughs) Obviously. It is called The Droid Coloring Book of the Future. (laughs) I have to see if someone scanned this because... um, Even though it's a long time ago. And it's also now a major TV series. Now a major TV series. And it has the Trigon one in the background and an A-Wing and a speeder. (laughs) <laughs> wow. So, um, what's interesting is that the the books are only about the first four episodes of the show, as is the coloring book. So it makes me think that this had to do with the success of the book or lack of it. There's also a quiz and puzzle book. R2-D2 quiz and C-3PO puzzle book. Now, admittedly, at the time those products were commissioned, maybe that was all of the show that they had close I think to you're, I think finished. you're probably right, and all the concept art and whatever they were given. 
my favorite Star Wars coloring book I've seen was one in the discount section at Walmart, you know, where you, or no, maybe it's Target, where you walk in and there's the bin where stuff is like one or two dollars. Um, it is a an Empire-themed book, and so you're coloring in stormtroopers and Darth Vader, uh-huh. uh, characters that don't require colors. <laughs> and it comes with like a, a yellow and red and blue marker or something. Well, like- well, I guess the lightsaber needs to be colored in. I guess, but it's just, it's... Why you could fill a coloring book with black and white characters? Of course, it's a coloring book, right? You're supposed to use your imagination, but... <laughs> so what are we um, talking about next week, Crasher? Well, next week, uh, we will be talking about uh, the next episode of Star Wars Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, specifically, A Race to the Finish. Yep. So... Which uh, I don't, I don't want to oh. give it away, but may in fact have a very special cameo. Ooh! Is it, I don't want to give it away. You got to tune Lucas in next is, week. George Lucas is popping <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it's size snoodles. Frankly, uh, that was the name of George Lucas's character in Revenge of the Sith, <laughs> who uh, did not have. Um, any dialogue, unfortunately. Oh, but what dialogue? Can you imagine you what it would have been? Oh, gosh. Oh. Remember that with great power powers. comes great responsibility. Oh, sure. He, uh. <laughs> Maybe he just, like. Uh, if they do, like, a sequel to the Han Solo movie, maybe he just walks up to, uh. Chewbacca and whispers, Han did it. He, he can be Han's him. dad. Well, you you know, like, at some point, George Lucas is going to show up in the movie as somebody's dad. Yeah, or maybe the new Mandalorian TV show they're doing. <laughs> did, did you hear they're also doing a, uh, the other live-action series has, has been announced, was focuses on one of the characters from Rogue One. Oh, yeah, it was like a Cassian Andor prequel series. Yeah, which I don't think anyone was asking for, but okay. Well, I, I have to. Well, I mean, to be to be fair, who was asking for a Mandalorian TV series without a Boba Fett? <laughs> not uh, that I'm I've... enamored with Boba Fett, but it's not what anyone was asking for. I mean, the Mandalorian novels written by what's her name were, were popular to a point. Uh, is the famous called... author what's her name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's what's her name? Johnson. No. Um, okay, that's enough of this. Um, yeah. So. Well, be sure to tune in next week where we talk about that episode, episode four, season one of Droids, and uh, <laughs> a merry life day to you all. No, uh, so I'm Matt Bradley Shergi. Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. I'm uh, William Thrasher. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And I guess this is us. Yes, uh, saying... <laughs> Oh, oh, this must be Artu's favorite program. Hello, I am D3PO, C3PO's evil twin. Uh, you know, funny funny thing is, he kind of does have an evil twin. I might just have to reread that episode of the Dark Horse Droids comics for uh, next week's Expanded Universe segment. Oh my god. Okay. Good night. Good night. Wait, it's morning. <laughs> <laughs>